Metal Gear 2 released on July 20, 1990 on the MSX2 computer system, and was a direct sequel to the original Metal Gear that released in 1987 by Hideo Kojima. This game, however, is not to be confused with the NES-only sequel, Snake's Revenge, that was created at Konami without the help of Kojima himself. As the story goes, Hideo Kojima was approached on the train by someone that had worked on Snake's Revenge, and had asked him to create a proper follow-up to Metal Gear. By the next day, the groundwork was laid, and Hideo Kojima was pitching Metal Gear 2 to his bosses at Konami. However, we're not here to talk about the story of the game. We're here to tell the story in the game. By 1999, the Cold War had thawed, and it seemed nuclear proliferation would soon be a thing of the past. Despite this, all was not well in the world. A military junta came to power in Zanzibar land, a small nation bordering Russia and China in Central Asia. After gaining its independence from Russia in the Mercenary War, Zanzibar land began attacking nuclear weapons disposal sites all around the world, seizing those weapons that were still intact and becoming one of the world's few nuclear powers. It then began to invade its neighbors at will. Meanwhile, a series of shocks to the oil market spurred the development of new high-tech energy sources, including fusion power. However, most vehicles still relied on oil. Oil reserves were at critical low, and the world community was prepared to take drastic measures, either by drilling into sand and shale for more oil, despite the difficulty, or moving on to renewable fuels. Such steps proved unnecessary when Czech scientist Dr. Kio Marv successfully bioengineered a new species of algae, Oilix, that could produce a petroleum-grade hydrocarbons with little expense and effort. While on his way to the International Energy Crisis Summit in the United States, however, he was kidnapped by agents of Zanzibar land. NATO discovered that Zanzibar land's leaders planned to hold the world hostage by controlling the supply of oil, along with the threat of nuclear war, in an era known as the Zanzibar land disturbance. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 2 of the Metal Gear Podcast, Metal Gear Salad. How's everyone doing today? I'm your host, Greg, and with me again, Josh from Suggestive Gaming. Josh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So it's been a little bit of a, of a long wait since the first episode, and we certainly didn't want it to be this long. But some big stuff was going on, so obviously it was the holiday season at my store, so I wasn't really able to do any extra content. In fact, I didn't get much YouTube stuff up at all. Um, but you, Josh, were working your ass off on your Resident Evil video, which yeah, is out like now. just like 16 hour days. <laughs> and it, but I will tell you, and this isn't, I always, I, I'm always nervous you're going to think I'm like just kissing your ass all the time because we're friends, but it, it, it was just an amazing piece of work. Like it's, it's so well done like that. When I think of gaming YouTube channels, like that's the content that like is what made YouTube what it is today, you know, and it's, it's awesome. So if anyone out there gets a chance to listen to it, if you love story stuff, like what we're doing here, suggestive gaming does these awesome, you know, what you need to know videos about the stories of games and the latest one, Resident Evil is just fantastic. And, and I did watch the Darksiders one, by the way, too. So, well, thank you, Greg. I appreciate you blowing smoke up my ass. It is a great feeling. Any time. I know I'm very good at it. You know, I got a lot of air in these <laughs> lungs, so, you know, but, but with that all being said, you heard the intro there, so we don't have to go into much of the story, but uh, Metal Gear Salad is a podcast. If this is your first time listening, go back and listen to the first episode. But if it's your first time listening, this is a, a podcast 
known for the story of Metal Gear Solid. So we want to talk to about the story. Every episode is another game in the Metal Gear franchise. We stick to the canon stuff. So episode two is the second game released in the official timeline. So we're today talking about Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So I know it gets really confusing because you've heard of Metal Gear Solid probably. <laughs> and that's named for the main protagonist, Metal Gear uh, for Solid Snake. And so this game is called Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Not Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear 2. So I'm going to take some time and to get also, used to. <laughs> also not to be confused with uh, uh, Metal Gear 2 Snake's Revenge, which we will never talk about which, on the show. <laughs> which, you know, we might. I don't never say never. We might Fair do enough. like one of those. We're all out of episodes. And we've talked about all the characters. And then we're like, well, let's talk about the weird games like Metal Gear Acid and Metal Gear you know, snakes revenge. <laughs> you know, you're right. Let's not let's not completely count it out. Uh, but yes, that is a non-canon uh, offshoot for the NES that was not produced by you know Hideo Kojima. So uh, it is not part of the canon timeline, as Greg mentioned, which is what we talk about here on this show. So uh, yeah, ignore that one for now. Totally, and and ignore it and put it away and maybe one day we'll talk about it because there's actually some neat things that go on in that game too and I actually love I do like the game but not part of the official canon so uh, with that being said uh, last week or last episode we talked about the original Metal Gear and that was a pretty basic story you're you're a you're solid snake you're sent in to to uh, to find out about this hidden mysterious piece of equipment called Metal Gear you're you you go in to rescue another agent named Gray Fox who went in and, and failed you get there, you rescue Gray Fox, you find out that your boss, aptly named Big Boss, was the bad guy the whole time. You engage him in battle, you win, you kill him, and then you take off. And that's the end. And so that's the end of Metal Gear. Somehow we talked about that for an hour and a half last episode. <laughs> but that's roughly the gist of it all. Uh, so that takes us to Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. And like I said, I already got a little bit of intro there in the beginning. So we're starting off where... Snake is brought in uh, into this um, this country called Zanzibar Land. We I'll still call it Zanzibar Land. It's such a awkward phrase to use, such a strange name. And Zanzibar is like a real place, so like Zanzibar Land is a little weird. But in any case, yeah, I do. A lot of people will just shorten it to Zanzibar, um, which kind of annoys me, just because, I've, like you said, Zanzibar is an actual place where Zanzibar Land isn't. <laughs> right. And, and uh, whenever it's when, whenever it's referred to in the franchise, they always, you know, it's always Zanzibar land. So just yeah. for sake of familiarity. And, uh, and the yeah. real Zanzibar isn't anywhere near where Zanzibar land hypothetically would be. <laughs> so Correct. it just because, yeah, this is this is this is uh, bordering Russia, China and, and Central Asia. So it's, you know, it's over there. Nowhere, <laughs> so nowhere near yes. Zanzibar. So there it is uh, with that. So with that being said. Snake is infiltrating the first of Zanzibar Land's large building complexes. So it's it's a base, right? It's 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 a base. We always have forts and bases. It's a base. Snake is contacted by someone named Holly White, who's a well, CIA. Op- oh, actually, did I, I I already messed it up, didn't I? We're I jumping a little far ahead, Greg. We got to talk did. about who brought Snake. Who? Why is he here? Who brought him here? That's right, because Snake at the end of Metal Gear re- essentially retires. He's like, I'm done. You know this double crossing thing. I did, nope. I didn't. I killed my boss. I'm not. I'm not doing this. Killed my mentor. I'm not doing it. But he's brought back. So yes, I'm sorry. I totally forgot about that. He's brought back by a new commander, Roy Campbell. 
And Roy Campbell is actually a name that you need to keep track of because this is a name we're going to be saying a lot in future episodes. So remember the name Roy Campbell, and Josh is going to go into a little more detail about it. So Roy Campbell takes command of a kind of newly reformed foxhound with a much cooler logo. They're the ones who obviously bring Snake out of retirement to bring him to Zanzibar land. And as Greg mentioned, Roy Campbell, the commander, he is very, very important going forward. He was a former United States Marine who served under the 5th Marine Regiment. And uh, he was also, after the Marines, he joined the Army's uh, Green Berets, took command of Foxhound, brought in Snake. This is where they meet. And uh, go ahead, Greg. And, and it's the beginning of, of a beautiful uh, new friendship. But also think about the, the responsibilities. You know, you're put in charge of a government agency that, that just had essentially policing itself. Turned out that the enemy was running the joint, was, was threatening the world with nukes. And that was all from the U.S. government. So obviously they had to hide all that. They have to wrap that all up. And then you get promoted. Roy Campbell gets promoted <laughs> to... Hey, by the way, you've got to run this secret division that just got busted for essentially terrorist actions. So he's that is brought a good in. point. And, and if we um, if we go a little bit into the kind of extended canon of this, this isn't necessarily talked about at all in this game. But just as we dive deeper into the world, he served under Big Boss in the original Foxhound. He so, did. Yep, he did. So after, so actually he and snake were probably familiar with each other at that point. Uh, but this is the first time that Campbell is directly commanding solid snake. I think that, yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. And while that's never stated anywhere, you'd have to know that like Campbell was in the government when snake was starting. So during the, uh, outer heaven uprising during that event, snake would have known, people in higher positions in the military and you would think that Campbell would have been one of the people he would have known and so it's probably part of the reason that Snake was able to come back because that's something else you have to think too like why would Campbell bring you know once you have that thought in people's heads that this organization could be corrupt why would you bring back another person from that organization you know and obviously it goes to the there's only one man for the job and it's a theme obviously throughout all of Metal Gear sort of like the strength of a soldier kind of comes from within, I guess. And so there's really only one man for the job and that man is solid snake. Right. Sorry. So thank you for catching me up on that. Cause I, we can't forget about Royal Campbell. I almost, I almost forgot about one of the main characters in the entirety of the metal gear. Saga. That's all right. I'm, I'm sure he never shows up again, <laughs> but that's why you're here. You're keeping me in check and I'll try to keep you in check. If the need arises. Um, yeah, that's important. <laughs> so, so now as Snake then, with, with that all being said, Campbell brings Snake in. Snake infiltrates the first of the large buildings on Zanzibar land. And as he's doing that, he's contacted by someone named Holly White, who's actually a CIA operative posing to be a journalist who promises to help him any way she can. Uh, and then so Josh is going to take us a little bit more into her backstory as well, because she's not a character that's popped up before. And I'm not, this isn't a spoiler. I don't think she really pops up again, but she's important to the story of this game. So Holly White not only was posing as a journalist, but she actually was a legitimate Pulitzer Prize winning journalist while simultaneously serving as an undercover agent for the CIA. So she um, she went, you know, very far for her cover in that she actually worked as a journalist and used that recognition to uh, further her intelligence operations and, you know, strengthen her alias as a 
journalist. Um, it kind of so, makes sense. I mean, they're both occupations that travel a lot. So, you know, it would make sense. You could be somewhere covering an event and then, you know, slip away. That's, and a, something. that's a lot of double time, though. I got to say. It's <laughs> a lot of overtime. <laughs> Seriously. You, I mean, it's it's hard enough to be a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist on on your own. But imagine that while, you know, simultaneously uh, infiltrating various uh, military complexes for the CIA. So, yes, she uh, she herself is also infiltrating the uh, Zanzibar land complex for the CIA and is subsequently united with Solid Snake. And she informs her or she informs him of her uh, occupation as both, you know, a a quote unquote, but also not really journalist and also a uh, secret agent for the CIA. Well, and that's something you hear a lot about in the in the real world, even that everyone always just thinks that the government is so on point with its divisions, right? Like the CIA could be running an operation that the FBI or that the army or that the, that they wouldn't even know about. Correct. And yeah. so they could be doing something. And so it, it's also kind of interesting that she would reach out right away and say, hey, I'm actually we're on the same team. Um, yeah, it's, but not, it's not like a, this is my case it, now. Yeah, like like get out of here, you know. And and that's that that's kind of Hideo Kojima's way of doing games, though. Like he likes having a main hero, but having support characters, and then having obviously villains, including you know almost cartoon character esque villains. You know, and it, it hasn't changed in thirty years. It hasn't changed. Um, so, so another an, one one important thing about their meeting is that Snake is informed beforehand about Holly. Um, that she would be there, that she was sent there by the CIA. However, and this is very important, Snake was not provided a picture of her. So he does not know what she looks like. Right. So he knows of her existence. And then he's contacted now, so he knows she's real and what she sounds like, but he has not seen her yet. That'll come back yes. into play later. In a very important uh, <laughs> uh, event. I cannot so... stress the importance <laughs> enough. As Snake makes his way through that building... Now, remember, as you heard in the intro, he was looking to rescue Dr. Keo Marv, who had invented this new, this new form of energy, this Oilix formula. And so Dr. Keo Marv actually has a transmitter implanted in him. So Snake's got it easy. This is one of the easiest missions of all time. Just follow the transmitter, get to Dr. Keo Marv, rescue him, and get out. So as he's following the transmitter, he goes to the room where he expects to find Dr. Keo Marv, but instead we're confronted with the first boss of the game, the first enemy, and it's Black Ninja. So he disguised himself as Dr. Keo Marv and then reveals himself to be an enemy. And so as, as, as per usual, as one does when you're confronted with an enemy, Snake fights him. And ultimately, as the player and as Snake, he defeats him. But after he does, Black Ninja is revealed to be none other than Kyle Schneider. Now, Josh, I know you remember, but can you help the listeners remember who Kyle Schneider is? So if you remember Operation Intrude N314, three, one, four, three, 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 one, three, three, one, three. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle Schneider was the leader of the resistance group in Outer Heaven that uh, helped Snake in his mission and, you know, ultimately brought down Big Boss and Outer Heaven. Yeah, quite, quite simply, he was a good guy. He helped us yes. in the first game. But so you may be asking, how how did he get here? How did um, why is he now trying to you know kill Snake, who was a f former 
you know, partner, let alone possibly friend, I might go as, go as far as to say. So after the Outer Heaven incident, NATO actually decided that they were just going to bomb the shit out of the place. Yeah, we remember that from the ending of the first game was that like it's actually part of the end of the game is you're escaping yep. before they lay waste to like yep. the entire base area, like the entire outer heaven complex is just going to get just leveled. And we mentioned at the time that they they were basically killing all the refugees. <laughs> it's it is funny we talked about that because I and I swear we didn't plan that, but we had talked about we had not jokingly because it's not funny, but you know we had we had brought up in jest almost like what happened to all those people on the island. Yeah, so we know now uh, that some of them survived, including Schneider, and were actually rescued by, do I say it? Let's do it. None other than a surviving Big Boss. So Big Boss apparently survived his battle (laughs) with Solid Snake and not only survived, but became very helpful. Uh, towards the refugees on the island. It was an island, right? Uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> it was at least a peninsula. Uh, <laughs> at the very least, it was a peninsula. <laughs> he uh, So he helped them, you know, escape from this, uh, from the wreckage of the the bombings by NATO and provided refuge for them and uh, basically was their savior. So Schneider became indebted to Big Boss, really, and be- began to look up to him and, uh, you know, see him as kind of a a good guy rather than a bad guy, to put it simply. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, such a common theme that you're going to see throughout this series as we talk about certain characters. But Big Boss in particular, you start to learn that he was able to build this unbelievable group of people. He had this trust with other soldiers and he could he could relate to them in a way. And he spoke to him. I think he was he was just this natural leader, and he he was just a beacon, and people were drawn to him. And so he found these people that were about to get wiped out, and he not only has to get himself out because remember Solid Snake, you know, whooped his butt. But so before that, he has to get himself out of there. He has to get all the other people out of there. So you find out that he rescues all these other people, brings them to Zanzibar Land, which is his new home for you know mercenaries or soldiers without a country sort of idea. Uh, and so it's just really it's just it's such an interesting thing because they're already laying this groundwork that like Big Boss is not always what it seems, you know, and we obviously in the first game, we had the big twist, right? Big Boss is the bad guy is a twist. You know, here we just had another twist. We just had Kyle Schneider, who was a good guy, is now a bad guy. And I think one of the common themes in the Metal Gear saga is that it's not as simple as black and white. It's not as simple as yeah, good guys a, and bad guys. I was just going to say this is a one of the first big examples of a mortal gray area with these characters of, you know, is big boss really a bad guy? He seemed to help all of these people, but really he was kind of the cause for their peril in the first place. So, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a a moral quandary, but going back to Kyle Schneider, uh, after his rescue by big boss, he was, I don't know if he was recruited or if he just kind of joined, uh, NASA's. He was actually, he was captured by a cleanup crew of NATO soldiers. So, oh, so NATO actually, even though he was rescued, he was he was scooped up by NATO. So they found him, and um, somehow or another, he was recruited into this top secret extraterrestrial environment special forces unit, which was a part of NASA, and it was codenamed the Black Ninja Unit, where all of the members of this unit 
were given kind of this black armor and reflex enhancing drugs. Some might assume maybe there's some kind of small uh, mechanical objects in them, but who knows at this point? Yeah, the and the idea of a super soldier serum like that—that's that's such a common theme in in so much stuff now too. Obviously, Captain America and other things, but like the idea that of of enhanced soldiers being like the best weapon on the battlefield, you know? Yep. So, eventually, though, that you know that experimental unit was disbanded, and um, the members of that unit, including Schneider, fled to Zanzibar land and began to work with Big Boss. So that is when the world learned of them. And of course, Schneider, as one of these black ninja units or one of these black ninja members, fought Snake. And that brings us to here. And, and as we know, you go up against Solid Snake, you, you, you're going home in a body bag. That's what they and, say. Uh, I believe. Bef- before he perishes, though, and, and this is kind of a neat parallel between Solid Snake and Big Boss, is that Solid Snake also seems to resonate with other soldiers. He seems to be able to connect with them on some level, which it, when we talk about Metal Gear Solid, we talk about the next game, you know, you'll wonder why, because he doesn't seem to have much of a personality, uh, not much of a positive one. But, you know, he's able also to draw in people and to, to gain their trust and to kind of bring together a coalition. And so Schneider was someone who did respect Solid Snake a lot. And so his last words to Snake before he dies are is a clue on how to find Dr. Keomarv. So he, even though he just got, you know, bested by Snake and he's dying, he's like, you know what? I still want to help you. I want to do what I think is the right thing. Here you go. And so uh, to find Dr. Marv, he says, follow the Green Beret. And so there's, from a gameplay perspective, it's it's a little guy, you know, walking around a map and you have to follow him to a secret building. Ultimately, there's no information on this Green Beret. He's nobody special, sadly. He's just a regular old soldier. Um, but as Snake's following him, uh, he finds this small building sitting in the middle of this entire jungle area. He sneaks past. Snake enters the building to find a very large cell, but it's completely empty. However, he hears a strange knocking. And so when he's contacted by Roy Campbell, who told him that the knocking was actually a tap code or Morse code, and after figu- figuring out a radio frequency from the knocks, Snake calls the person on the radio. Remember, you have your codec. And Snake discovers that the person who was knocking was not Dr. Keo Marv, who we were looking for, but instead, Josh, you ready for this? Dr. Drago Petrovich Madnar, the guy who created the Metal Gear in the first game. That guy's back. He's back. He's back. Ooh. You know, uh, Kojima loves to bring back his old characters. This is uh, just a party of familiar faces, ain't it? It's. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Snake's <laughs> very happy to see this face. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so when you go to a, a to a secret outpost and you're looking for one doctor, and you find the other doctor who just happens to always be the one getting kidnapped and making Metal Gear robots, uh, it's not going to usually start well for you. But hey, the game is called Metal Gear after all. <laughs> That's what they call a classic Metal Gear switcheroo, right there. And so. Uh, Madnar tells Snake, "Hey, I got captured again. Getting captured. Maybe you should start buying, uh, you know, paying for some security." But he gets captured again in order to build a new version of Metal Gear called Metal Gear D. So Snake obviously is blown away by this. He's like, "Hey, I wasn't. I didn't come here to kill a metal, to blow up a Metal Gear. I came here to rescue uh, Doctor Keo Marv, who's got this formula for a new sort of biofuel. That's all I was supposed to do, man. What's this Metal Gear talk? And and." the possibility of big boss being here. This is bringing up a whole bunch of memories and, and stuff for snake. He's like, I don't, I'm not here to do this. This is, this is not why I came here. I came here 
to forget all this stuff, to put it away, not to relive it all. Yeah, suddenly this mission got a lot more complicated. And so uh, Madnar, though, says, hey, I know how you can find Dr. Keomarv. But he's like, you got to hurry up because Dr. Marv's old and they're interrogating him like crazy to try to find his Oilex formula. So if you don't hurry, he's going to croak. Is <laughs> basically what he yeah, says. Basically, yeah, basically they're going to break him. And, and so it's like if you if you don't get to him soon, he's toast. So get out there. And so as Snake is going through his journey, right, he's go, he has to cross a desert and he gets contacted by an anonymous caller identifying himself only as Snake's number one fan. So you don't know who it is, just someone trolling him on the codec, but saying, hey, I'm going to help you because I'm such a big fan. And of yeah, course, he's you don't giving, know him, giving him hot tips on the area. Like, like he's not stepping on landmines right. and whatnot. Uh, however, as Snake uh, gets through the minefields and, and the, the singing sand lace desert, I did want to talk about this for a second. So there's an area of the game where when you walk on certain types of sand, it makes a noise like singing and the soldiers will detect you. <laughs> so you have to watch out for landmines and you have to not walk on the singing sands. But Which, unfortunately, all. this game was an MSX2 game. So <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't really get to hear the singing sands in their full glory. D- just some pretty basic beep boops. Um, so as Snake gets through that, all that stuff, uh, then Snake runs into a Hind D attack helicopter which obviously is going after Snake, and he's like, I have no way of taking care of this thing. I have no weapons. I need some advice. He contacts Holly. Holly says, hey, you need some stinger missiles. There are some in a small armory located in the swamp. Get to the swamp, get the missiles, come back, you blow up the hindy. Problem solved. All right, no problem. Snake heads towards the swamp, gets a tip from one of the children that there's a big truck driving through the bottomless swamp, and you can kind of see the patterns. That's how you gameplay element you get through it. But then he runs into the second boss of the game, the elusive running man. Yes, that is his name, the running man. So to take a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of Metal Gear Salad, uh, Greg and I discuss um, kind of uh, the the things we're going to talk about on the show before we start it. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time. <laughs> you wouldn't think on Running Man. You wouldn't think listening to this that we actually practiced or talked about things beforehand, <laughs> but I promise you that we do. <laughs> oh, and. Running Man is, there's so much to talk about here. So when he first shows up, Running Man basically says, hi, I'm Running Man. I'm the fastest mercenary that there is. Here, watch me. And then he runs real real fast. Dude's got fast legs, fast mouth. So (laughs) not only is he the fastest mercenary, but he is practically the fastest man on Earth, at, at least at that time. Damn near. So... He was a well-known short-distance runner who gained fame during the Barcelona Olympics, which we looked up and was in 1992, obviously in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And he ran the 100-meter dash in 9.69 seconds. And to put that into perspective, Greg, the fastest time that anybody has ever run the 100-meter dash was... It's Usain Bolt in 2009... And that record was 9.85, 9.58 seconds. <laughs> this is going to be the most only, ever. Yes. Which is only 0.18 seconds faster than Running Man. So if yes. you can picture Usain Bolt on the battlefield, that's Running Man. Yeah, like that's that's how fast he could run. And what's funny is this: the world record by Usain Bolt was set in 2009, 9.58. And... Technically, the events of Metal Gear 2 
take place in 1999. Mm-hmm. So this he at that time he would have had the fastest hundred meter dash in the entire world. But Correct. instead of being Olympic star, eh, just be a mercenary instead. Well, Greg, there's there's a reason for that. You see, Running Man would probably have been completely fine living his life as a world star athlete, but that was brought to an end when he was caught doping. Greg, wait, what? Are you serious? <laughs> yes, he wasn't just the fastest man naturally. I don't remember. Guy that at was all. using steroids. Oh no, <laughs> I don't. So remember that as at all. As you do when you're caught using steroids, many athletes have done this. I mean, when you look at all of the great mm. athletes who have found using steroids, I mean, you got Lance Armstrong, you got Ryan Braun. Uh, Mark McGuire, yep. Mark McGuire. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So what did he do? Did what all, what all of them do. He joined terrorist groups <laughs> through all of Europe. He took a plane to Zanzibar land. <laughs> First train so to at, Zanzibar land. At, after his terrorist activities, he then um, joined a, uh, uh, he was actually, he, he wasn't just any terrorist. He was like the leader of a French terrorist group. That's where he got his name. Mm. So he is running man, probably running from the law, running from <laughs> the steroid commission. <laughs> <laughs> running and, from the anti-doping commission. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah. So like you said, he ran all the way to uh, Zanzibar land and. That's where we find him confronting Solid Snake. It, and so in the game, the running running man literally runs away from you the whole time. So you can't and you can't fight somebody you can't catch. So Snake knows Snake's Snake's battle hardened. He's smart. He lays landmines behind him, tries to chase the running man. Running man runs over the landmines and kills himself. So, so Snake the thing makes quick work. The thing of the you got to remember, Greg, is when you're running the hundred meter dash, you're just running straight. You know what I mean? You're not oh, hurt. true. So he's not used to trying to dodge things when he's running fast. He doesn't see as fast as his legs run, you know? Oh, and he's not looking down. He's not looking at the ground, you know, for these huge landmines. He's just looking straight ahead. Exactly. So Solid Snake outsmarted him. And that's sometimes you're, you're going to find in this series. Sometimes the brains are better than the brawn. <laughs> than the Ryan brawn. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Bringing uh, it around. Wisconsin sports jokes. <clears throat> um, so, so after defeating the running man, Snake looks around and he cannot find the stinger missiles, which is the whole point in coming here. It's like we got that hind D we got to take care of. We're looking for stinger missiles. They ain't any here. But thankfully, there's a little kid inside the armory. Got my hands in the air, little kid. And the kid informs him that they're moved the stinger missiles to the Zanzibar building to be equipped onto Zanzibar land tanks. So Snake then travels back to the hangar area, finds the Stinger missiles before they get put on the tanks, and returns to the Hind D's location and blows it up. So that would technically be the third boss of the game, but there's not really much of a background story on a helicopter. I guess the pilot <laughs> should have had a backstory, but he didn't. Uh, it literally was a Hind D. Uh, the, the boss fight itself in the game is actually really fun. You have to be... It, it's like a... It's like four screens, and you have to shoot missiles off the screen to where the helicopter is. If you're on the same screen as a helicopter, it'll it'll shoot you down. So it's actually a really neat boss fight in the game as well. After he defeats the Hindi, Snake then has to go to the second building of the fortress, and as soon as he steps inside, he's called by Holly again, who lets him know... <laughs> I'm not sure how the order of this goes, but she basically got captured by the enemy. So either she got captured, and then she called him when she was in her cell... 
or as she was being captured, she called, uh, or the the people who caught her were very nice and let her make a call before taking her away. You know, the, when you go to jail, you usually get a phone call. So I think I think they're just like, all right, here you go. Here's your warning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so Snake uh, doesn't know her exact location, but she gives clues. He eventually figures it out. He goes and rescues her, and she gives him another clue to where Dr. Keo Marv's whereabouts are. Because remember, that's the whole point. We're here to rescue this doctor and to, re- and to save the Oilex formula that he created. Greg, you're forgetting one very important moment right now, though. Yes. So this, the clue you. to his whereabouts, however. No, no, no. Not oh, that one. Oh, I'm sorry. Not that. Before that. So hit, hit this is the it. first time Snake is seeing Holly White in the flesh. Oh, I know you've been waiting the whole podcast for this, so I don't want to cut you off on this. <laughs> So Solid Snake, I don't know his exact words. I wish I like looked up the script for this. But basically, he sees her and he goes, oh, shit, I didn't know you were so pretty. If I did, we would have met up earlier. <laughs> so if you remember from the first episode, from the first game, Snake is quite the ladies' man. Uh, he kept calling Jennifer, and if he called and she wasn't there to answer, her brother would sometimes answer and get really upset with you and tell you to stop calling. Because what's the other reason that just a random gentleman would be calling at all hours of the night? Right. So Snake is quite the ladies' man. So, yes, thank you. It's the first time that Snake sees Holly, and he comments on how beautiful she is, which I guess, arguably, if you're going to be a CIA secret agent and a journalist, you probably have to be physically attractive as part of your profession. I don't know. Does that sound sexist? It's not. I'm not trying to A little to be. bit. A little bit. I was gonna. I was gonna just call you sexist just to cover both bases. Fair enough. As long as you're safe, I'll take all the heat. I, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> and but that's. I got snake. a show to run. That that's snake, and that's another theme you'll see throughout everything. Snake is quite the ladies' man. He is the charmer, uh, and so uh, after all that, there's a clue to Doctor Marv's whereabouts. But the clue itself, Josh, is on a carrier pigeon on the roof. So Snake makes his way up to the roof of the building so he can capture this carrier pigeon and try to find whatever the clue would be. And he runs and into now, the next boss. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Now the carrier pigeon, if we look into the history of the carrier pigeon, the carrier <laughs> pigeon was trained by No, that's uh there's so, no history so on the carrier pigeon. So the carrier pigeon, pigeon used to be an Olympic athlete. <laughs> uh, no, <I'm> just <laughs> a lot of Olympic athletes in this game. We'll get to more later. Yes, we'll, as we'll find out. <laughs> yes. Uh, so as Snake's making his way up to the roof, he runs into the next boss of the game, Red Blaster. And again, we talked about this last episode. A lot of these uh, bosses have, are like cartoon caricatures of, of you know, it's it's funny in a way. And so they have some interesting names and some interesting concepts. But all in all, they usually have some really some really fun backgrounds. And so red blaster is the next villain that Josh is going to kind of talk a little bit about his backstory a little bit here. Red blaster, uh, whose real name, we don't know much like running man, I guess he was an elite assassin who actually earned his special operations degree from the Patrice Lumumba university of the former Soviet union. And if you're interested, yes, that is an actual school. It is now called the people's friendship university of Russia. And and we still, we could not find a definitive answer if when it was called the Patrice Lumumba University, if it actually oh, I, had classes oh, in becoming an elite assassin. Yes. That so we currently it is, it is not listed in their <laughs> curriculum. <Currently. laughs> I checked. We, so. couldn't, we couldn't go back and look at the curriculum in the 80s and the 70s, but as of right now, they no longer train elite assassins. That is correct. But, uh, you know, if you uh, live in Russia, 
and uh, you're looking for a university, consider the People's Friendship University of Russia because they have a very illustrious set of alumni, including Red Blaster himself. An elite assassin. Correct. And he served as an explosive expert for the Spetsnaz, which is weird to me because wouldn't you think an assassin would be more covert than an explosive expert? Uh, You know, maybe. (laughs) I mean... If you're an elite assassin, you can make every explosion look like an accident. That, you know, this is this is why we work so well in this mm. podcast, Greg, because, man, you just you just fill in those gaps. You're the uh, handsome so, one. I'm the smart one. That's why this team works. Ah, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> um, so his main fighting style, uh, according to this article I'm reading, involved laying a trap using tripwires and then throwing his R- RKG-3 anti-tank grenades at his target. So basically he traps them. And then throws a grenade at them. It's it's such an odd boss fight. He's he's on like the he's almost like on the ceiling, and he's moving back and forth on the ceiling. And as you're running around the area, he's got these trip lines set up. And when you hit it, you slow down. And then when you hit one, he'll throw a grenade at you. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know many explosive experts that just chuck grenades. Like is that and, well like <laughs> like climbing around the ceiling like Spider Man? Well, <laughs> yeah. and, and and like we just talked about. I said maybe he was an elite assassin because he made all these assassinations look like accidents because of his expertise. However, he just throws grenades. So is he really an elite assassin if, if he just runs up to you and you get in your car and he throws a grenade at you and runs away? I mean, is, that's, that's elite? Is that elite for Spetsnaz or what? That was exactly my point. Like, it seems like this guy's kind of a, you know, he doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. He just kind of blows people up and then runs. But if, if that's, uh, a, yeah, if that's elite, I don't want to see who's like, last in class for explosive experts for Spetsnaz. But we can't all be record-setting Olympic medalists, Greg. Some of us are just, you know, some of us are just really good at marketing ourselves, and I feel like that's who Red Blaster is. <laughs> so do- He doesn't have a strong resume, but damn, does he know how to sell it. But but hey, yeah, well, you know, hey, that's that's true, and fake it till you make it. <laughs> so... <And laughs> I guess he made it. <laughs> and like everyone else who gets in the way of Solid Snake, you're gonna get you're gonna get hurt. Solid Snake puts him down, no problem at all. Use it, and, and this is a, a gameplay element, so not just part of the story. But Snake actually has to use a ration to lure the pigeon towards him. So he beats Red Blaster, makes his way to the roof. He finds the pigeon, uses a ration to get the pigeon to fall down towards him, and he finds a piece of paper attached to the pigeon's leg, like an old messenger, like an old raven from Game of Thrones or something, right? Like so, these messenger pigeon. And the message itself is almost gibberish. It says help exclamation point and then W I S dot O H I O. And you're like, what the hell does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. However, Solid Snake knows it was some sort of secret code, and with the help of Campbell and as well as his drill sergeant. Now this is the first time this character is being introduced to us, but Solid Snake's drill sergeant, Master Miller, they realize that it's really a codec call. So they flip it over and they can make a call. So but but before we move on to that, I do want to talk about Master Miller. Yes, I believe we should talk about Master Miller. And, and there's not a Master lot to talk McDonald about. Miller. Yeah, and there's not a lot to talk about in this game. But again, another one of those characters that really makes an impact throughout the whole saga. So remember that name as well. But in this game, connected to Solid Snake is actually his drill sergeant and his and like his mentor, I guess. And like he trained him more. So you know, we always talk about Big Boss being Snake's mentor. Uh, Big Boss and Master Miller essentially together were both a part of training Snake into the soldier he is today. 
And and McDonald Miller in as far as this uh operation goes, Snake obviously has his kind of cast of support that he will uh call upon when he's in certain situations for their expertise. Um but it seems like McDonald Miller almost is a I don't want to say like fatherly figure, but he gives a lot of moral support as well. So not only is he there for his technical expertise, but I feel like there's a there's a kinship there between the two as well. Uh, and that's important to remember for later. Yeah, I would have felt like Master Miller was always more of more of a fatherly like teacher figure. Mm-hmm. And Big Boss would have been a little bit more like a like a drill sergeant or like a like a, a tough love sort of guy. Like like Big Boss would have been more of the I'm gonna beat on you until you learn. That's where Master Miller was a little more sympathetic to the soldier. I think a little bit more like a friend. Like the good cop, almost. Good, yeah, that, that's a good way of saying it. I think I think that's fair. Um, so after uh, Campbell and Miller help Snake figure out that it's a codec frequency to call, Snake makes contact with Kiyomarv. So finally, we've... Which, uh, just, just to take a, a small step backwards, they figure out it's a codec call by flipping it upside down. Yep. So if, Which you, is, if, you, if you write that out, help W-I-S-O-H-I-O, and you flip it over, it makes the codec code 140.51. Which is a cool, like, little Metal Gearism. Um, a, Koji- a Kojima-ism? Yeah, we'll see We'll see more things similar to that in the future, so I just kind of wanted to, to point that out. It's not really story-related, more so, you know, game-related, but... Those, and, those kinds of little things are cool to keep track of. And I find myself doing that a lot now, too, is even though I really want to focus on the story with these games, I think about that and I think about these really cool moments, like how the boss fight actually plays out. And I think it's neat to talk about that because there's something lost if you say, well, he just killed this guy. But if you kind of describe how the boss fight goes, it's neat. You know, it's something Abs- that, absolutely. that if think, you don't play the game, you missed out on. But you know what? This is our show. We could take the liberties yeah, we want. Craig. Do whatever the hell we want. This, yeah, is our, that listener, this is our listener. This is for show. us. <laughs> <laughs> us, us, and the two hundred people listening out there. So, hey, that's more than my videos get sometimes. That would you? You stop it. You know it's not true. You stop. That's that. true, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he contacts Doctor Marv. Finally, three quarters through the game, he contacts Doctor Keo Marv, and Marv doesn't speak English. He can't communicate oh, with him. Oh no! So, All of this for nothing. So when you can't understand someone, who else, who do you call? Well, you call a doctor. Get back on the horn. Contact Doctor Petrovich Madnar, and he tells Snake, "Look for an STB agent named Gustava Hefner, who's actually acting as Kiyomarv's bodyguard." And Snake's told that Gustava had managed to steal an enemy uniform, and that she she's somewhere hiding around. Zanzibar land. So, Josh, I'm going to toss it back to you to break down Gustava Hefner, the STB agent. Now, the STB is an intelligence agency. Where's from? It's it's in former Czechoslovakia. State it's it's Czechoslovakian State Security or STB. So anyway, sorry, I want to pass it to you. I just I didn't want to throw it to you and be like, "Hey, what does STB mean?" and then you wouldn't know if, in case you hadn't had it up on your screen. So, well, actually, the STB, for those of you who might be wondering how does Czechoslovakia state security go to STB, it's actually this from the Slavic, uh, you know, word for it. So Look at that. You I'm get some gonna, education gonna, when you listen to this I'm podcast gonna, here. I'm not going to try to read it, but, you know, <laughs> go look it up. Anyway, um, so Gustava Hefner, to put it more into perspective, so as we go back into kind of the storyline of the game, uh, Snake eventually does discover her by uh, kind of creepily watching her enter the women's bathroom. Yeah, uh, since all, all we know is that 
she had stolen an enemy uniform, so you basically have to wait outside the bathroom and see which bathroom she goes in, and that's how you know it's her. And remember that for later. Solid Snake watching uh, female soldiers go into the bathroom. A lot of, we're learning a lot about Snake today. Learning a lot. <clears throat> uh, so he, you know, eventually goes and confronts her and says, hey, I know who you are. You're Gustava Hefner. And, you know, she takes off her disguise and says, sure am. How are you? Um, <clears throat> so Snake immediately uh, recognizes her. He's, he's like, don't I know you from somewhere? And she's like, I, I don't think so. And he's like, you look very similar to a uh, Olympic gold medalist figure skater that I saw on, on at the Olympics 10 years ago, 10, 11 odd years ago. And she's like, no, nope, not me. Uh, that <laughs> couldn't have been me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> do I look like a figure skater? I'm in the army or what? Uh, so th- they, they brush past that. And that's all we really know about her for now. Um, she, if, if we go a little bit into her history, she, uh, she's the daughter of a Holocaust survivor uh, from Poland. And they fled from the Nazis during world war two and ended up in, you know, Czechoslovakia. And uh, that's Gustava Hefner uh, for now, as we know her now and uh so snake bumps into her and says hey i can't talk to dr kiyomarv please can you please help me please and of course she can she could speak it so but also he slips a little bit of flirtation in there as well let's say come on we're talking about solid snake here so so this is solid snake now this is this is metal gear 2 so we had to have more than just the one love interest from the first game now we've got two ladies that snake is macking on in a very short amount of time. Mind you, this isn't very far apart, but you know, he's casting a wide net. Each number in the title, Greg, (laughs) (laughs) he's casting a wide net, you know? So uh, after making sure Dr. Marv is safe and discovering that the prison is North of the tower building, they jump into the sewers and they find an elevator takes them to Dr. Madnar's cell. This is, Oh yeah, that's right. Because Keo Marv is being held in the same as Dr. Madnar. That's what they found out jump into the elevator to get to Dr. Madnar's cell because they've got to rescue Dr. Madnar. They know Dr. Marv is safe. They're going to get there. But first, they got to rescue Dr. Madnar and obviously stop their production of the new Metal Gear because that became a new mission here for Snake. So the three of them are continuing to the bridge leading to the prison building, and Madnar has to take a piss break. <laughs> it happens. You know, He's an old man. He's, <laughs> he's been holding he's... it. You know, he doesn't have the same, you know, control that he used to, Greg. Give him a break. <laughs> so so he takes a bathroom break. And when he does that, Snake and Gustava get a little time to chat. And it's actually kind of a touching moment because Gustava goes into some detail about her past, um, mostly about how uh, she does admit finally that she was a figure skater and that Snake was right when he recognized her. But then she had also been engaged to a man named Frank Hunter. But then when she attempted to defect to America, she was refused asylum and sent back. And so Frank Hunter if, uh, is, is the exact same person as another name you might have heard, which is Frank Yeager. And if you don't know who Frank Yeager is, Frank Yeager is Gray Fox. And if you don't know who Gray Fox is, And if you don't know who Gray Fox is, you weren't listening to last, <laughs> to last uh, episode. But Gray Fox was the soldier we helped in the first game, and then we haven't heard of. Uh, since so yes. after after the initial outer heaven incident and gray fox was rescued he goes missing he he, he becomes uh you know radio silent he, nobody's heard from him well we had we had even joked we had joked and said like what did he do after you rescue him because he just kind of disappears it's like well weren't you gonna help 
or something. I mean, you know, like being a one man army is kind of cool and all, but a two man army is even cooler. Exactly. And, but and, nope, he, he disappears. And so it's, it's just another, it's another part of Kojima trying to connect everything together. And part of the brilliance and part of why I fell in love with Metal Gear over the years was because it was one story that was being told and pieces being filled in over the course of 25, 30 years of a story. And I just absolutely love that, you know? And so this is one of those wraparounds. So she used to be engaged to a man named Frank Hunter, as we know him as Gray Fox, uh, one of the other soldiers and, and um, one of the other people in, in Snake's inner circle. And, and so that's like this really cool, like, whoa, okay, like that, that's a pretty big deal. That's a big story moment. And, and one that has, that, that has reverberations throughout the Metal Gear saga. Um, and then when asked, Snake even admits himself, uh, when asked if he's married, he says that he's never had a family and that he's always been kind of a loner and doing things himself, which we kind of already knew or assumed, but you know, it's the first time that he mentions anything about himself that way. Uh, and she goes on to say, but then she joined the STB and has even killed a man. Uh, snake then tries to comfort her, but then Madnar comes back. So, you know, snake was trying to get, you know, I think he was trying to use that really touching moment to get his Mac on. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dr. Cockblock Madnar shows up <laughs> You know, Solid Snake just always finding the vulnerable moment. And he, you know, sliding he, in. he he's he he'll find that weakness. He'll <laughs> he'll get in there. It's really the dentist system, but it it, it, it really Snake. really is. <laughs> um, so then now the three back together, they carry on, eventually making their way out of the sewers, and back up top where they're about to cross the bridge to the prison building. So once they reach the suspension bridge leading to the detention camp. They decide, Gustava decides that they need to go across one at a time because it's kind of a sketchy bridge. So Dr. Madnar goes first. As Gustava's crossing the bridge, a rocket or missile blows up the bridge, sends her flying back to Snake's side, and now there's a big gap in the bridge. Dr. Madnar's on the north. There's a gap in the bridge. And Snake and Gustava, who just got hit by a rocket, is on Snake's side. As armed guards show up to take Dr. Madnar away to capture him, we see for the first time... Metal Gear D, and not only do we see Metal Gear D, but it is being piloted by Gray Fox himself. So the same Gray Fox that we just talked about that we hadn't seen before, which obviously in the story was kind of a way to bring him back so people remembered who the character was, not only does he show up, he shows up, he blows up his (laughs) ex-fiancee, captures Dr. Madnar in the Metal Gear, and takes off. So what's Before up with he takes off, I do want to point out that not only does he not say anything about killing his former fiance, but he uh, warns Snake of a uh, a future uh, team of foes that will put up a great fight to him. So remember that Snake's got a for you know foreboding warning about um, a team of people that will put up a good fight to him so this thought just came across my mind though too do you think it's possible he didn't know that that was gustava it is very possible if if she Um, was still wearing her military uniform maybe he didn't know and that might be something that if he realized later and i'm not saying that because i know and that i'm just i'm just like being coy for the listeners but that might be something that later on you know he would struggle with severely knowing that he did that. Cause I can't, I, I couldn't see him doing that on purpose. Like there seems to be no reason for him to do it on purpose, but seeing, you know, having to do his job. No, And I, and I, and I de- that's the thing. Like, I'm sure he knew, you know, I have to blow up this, this bridge so that my adversaries can't, you know, move on. 
Um, but yes, I'm sure nobody said like, by the way, uh, the people you're killing are Gustava Hefner and Solid Snake. But that brings up a good point. He recognizes Snake. He does. And, and actually, he gives Snake the opportunity to leave. He doesn't right. try to kill Snake. He says, look, leave or I will kill you. So mm-hmm. it's really Gray Fox is giving Snake the choice to abandon the mission and save himself, you know, giving him that out. So he might have some selective memory. Maybe that was like a lost weekend. Like he doesn't really remember his ex-fiance. It's just like, ah, this lady, she kind of looks familiar. Isn't she that ice skater from the Olympics? Well, and not to get into other games or anything yet, but that is a very realistic possibility knowing the things that I know about Gray Fox's past that we'll talk about when we get there. So that is certainly... Greg, that is some possible. good. That is some great A foreshadowing there. Thank Let's you. <laughs> we call that do- dodging. That was that was a sweet dodge. So so he says, Snake leaves Zanzibar Lander. I'm gonna smoke you. Snake tends to Gustava, who unfortunately is beyond saving. She thanks Snake for all of his help and that nice moment they had. So Snake's down one hottie. She gives him her brooch, which by the way is a key that can change to different shapes at different temperatures. And Snake now is super pissed. At both Gray Fox and Big Boss. So not that he wasn't already a little annoyed. Now he's pissed. You killed one of his potential lady friends. You could say that Solid Snake is now out for some revengeance. That's the last time we'll ever hear that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it also does go to Solid Snake also is he is someone who does care. And we, we saw that in the first game. He he offers to rescue Dr. Petrovich's daughter, even though you could say that that was transactional. He offers to do that. He, but he does, he does seem to have like a weak spot for helping people and taking care of people. And, and so this is another one of those things like he does care for her. Like he, he wanted to help her escape. He wants to help Dr. Keomarv. He wants to help Dr. Madnar. And, you know, he's, he's got like a soft side, I guess you would say. And, and so, you know, he wants to. So now you kill one of those people who he would argue is probably under his care. He's pissed. And so now it's given him a little more motivation in this like last push of the game. Like, okay. Now I'm pissed, you know, and it's funny that he gets frustrated at this point because there just happens to be fairly close together three boss fights <laughs> that come up next. And so I kind of like to think that that was that was the, the game's way of saying he's running through these people. He's like almost like in, a, in like a blood frenzy. And so mm-hmm. like he, he gets put in these situations where he does have to fight bosses. But, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm going John McClane on these guys. I am. I'm pissed. And so of these three boss fights, and, and they're all, they're, they're not necessarily sequential, but they're very close to each other. And there's not a lot of story elements that happen in between. But first up is Snake's taking an elevator, and he runs into a group called the Four Horsemen. And so, Josh, I'm going to let you dive a little bit further into the Four Horsemen and kind of like what, what, uh, what their background is. Well, Greg, if you want to learn more about the Four Horsemen, check out Suggestive Gaming's video on Darksiders, <laughs> uh, live now on YouTube.com slash Suggestive Gaming. Uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, <laughs> I was waiting to make that joke. Oh, finally. Okay, so um, we don't know too, too much about the Four Horsemen, besides the fact that they, obviously there are four of them, and uh, they're, they're former elite members of the British SAS, the German GSG-9, and the American UDT, which, uh, if you don't know, is the underwater demolitions team that is part of the Navy. So elite soldiers, um, we don't know, you know how many are from each or whatever, but they have you know, 
because they're all they come from areas that specialize in kind of small enclosed spaces a fight in an elevator would be very very much tuned to their advantages so that's why they are you know sent there to you know kind of uh, battle solid snake in a very close quarters situation yeah and this is the first time in the game that you're presented with the idea of invisible enemies or with stealth camo something that comes up later in metal gear is stealth camouflage and so the idea that you are you can make yourself completely invisible with with technology uh and so these the four horsemen they actually have that technology they're in the elevator when you get in and you don't know it and then they boom they appear and so again very common as we know solid snake that's no problem four guys at once who cares snake takes them down and then a little later runs into the next one like because remember uh he's now on this blood frenzy snakes in a killing mode he's in killer mode he's pissed he goes on to the next boss called jungle evil now jungle evil (laughs) i guess josh i'll kind of let you get into this but jungle evil was one of the characters if you remember when we talked last episode about a few characters that had to have name changes this is the first character that really had a name change so far in metal gear 2 but i'll let i'll let you kind of hit a little bit of the background of jungle evil so just as we're talking about name changes here um that is it's not entirely true because the four horsemen were also changed they were originally called ultra box oh uh which was a was named after the british pop band ultra vox which you might have heard of Hmm. were there four members in that band uh let me look interesting i'm I'm looking and yes there were four members it looks like during their uh during their heyday so yes that's actually holy shit hold on sorry for the cursing there but i just realized that the lead singer of the band ultravox was none other than midge ur or your i don't know how to pronounce his last name midge ur if you're unaware i am totally unaware i'm lost where you're going but i'm i'm ready for this Dude, this is super cool. I never knew this. Midge Ure, um did a cover of David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World. Oh, get out of here. That is a very important song later in this series. Get, are you that's you're serious right now? That's incredible. I am 100% serious. For anyone listening, this is totally not we had no idea going into this. We just like on a on a whim did that. That is really funny, and I wish that we could tell you why that's really interesting to us right now, but we can't without ruining further story stuff later on. This was such a cool organic discovery that we just Oh, made. man. Uh, what? That's an incredible connection. And I will say, if you've never heard that song, incredible song. So, like, listen to it. I mean, it's, it's a classic. You have to listen to it. Oh, we'll talk about it later. Just uh, keep your keep your eyes and, and gonna, ears peeled. We're going to talk a lot about it later. Um, but, yeah, excellent, excellent song. Uh so so technically the four horsemen were the first ones that were renamed to Ultrabox, a playoff of the British pop band. So then the next however, the next boss then also renamed from Jungle Evil, excuse me, renamed to Jungle Evil from if you can believe it, I know you can because you heard our first episode, from originally being called Predator. <laughs> Straight up, Kojima put a boss in his game just called Predator. And uh, it's not because of the the Marvel character, I'm sure. 
Is there a Marvel character named Predator? Isn't there the Predator? Isn't that like a Marvel character? I don't know. Or DC, <laughs> one of the two. Anyway, there's a there's an alien thing. It's called the Predator. Anyway. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, he's, he's almost like a, um, he's, he's just like the, <laughs> he's an ambush assassin, um, kind of, uh, he's from the South African special forces brigade. Um, he also served as a mercenary in Vietnam and Southern Yemen. And, uh, he single-handedly destroyed two entire troop companies and he, uh, he became viewed as more of a beast than a mere human being, which would make sense why it was originally called the predator. You know, he was almost like a monster on the battlefield. Like by himself, he took out two companies, which is, mm-hmm. which and I, I don't know enough about the military. Maybe you do, but like the idea, because obviously we're, we're looking at the background here, and it says troop companies. Does that make sense? Like, like I feel like two troops or two companies would make sense, but troop companies. I guess I don't know if that's proper wording on that, but. So um, if anybody out there knows, I, let us know. Like, some, you know, calling calling it a troop company is a little redundant. Like, like you're saying, it should just say like two companies, um, because uh, just to look up the the military definition, um, a, a company is a military unit typically consisting of eighty to one hundred and fifty soldiers. So he defeated single handedly um, approximately one hundred and sixty to. 500 right did it say oh 300 sorry 300 i thought it was 250 not 150 so 160 to 300 soldiers single-handedly and and part of that boss fight with him is you're actually like in this tall grass it's almost like this tall wheat kind of grass and so it's it, it is kind of like like he's almost like a jungle stalker kind of you know and so it would make sense that you could wipe out an entire company if you were he himself being very stealthy and sneaking around killing some setting traps like like that kind of idea um but again you can't go up against the greatest soldier the world's ever known in in solid snake and and come out alive it's not happening jungle evil gets defeated by solid snake as well and then as he's making his way through, on the end of his bloody rampage, Solid Snake's run into the third and final of this boss this boss mess he just went through. And he runs into a fella named Night Fright. <laughs> and I know I say this all the time, but yes, very strange names. Always have some sort of quirky bosses. It's a it's a Hideoism, we'll call it. Is that a is that a fair term? That's a fair term. And uh and so he has a little bit more backstory, though, and, and some pretty cool, I, I thought cool anyway. Like, I read this stuff, and I just think it's neat. But uh, Josh is going to hit us with it. So Night Fright, it, he was the last surviving member of a military organization, a guerrilla squad in Vietnam called the Whispers. And the Whispers were more advanced than even the Green Berets. So these guys were, you know, highly renowned um, as, you know, being this crazy, like, guerrilla warfare, you know, uh, squad in in North Vietnam. So he's the only survivor, but he, much like the, um, the Four Horsemen, but he more so uses stealth camouflage to disguise himself. And he also uses a silent machine gun uh, referred to as the Type 67 and also the Wei Shen Shoshang in, in 
uh, Chinese, if I pronounce that incorrectly, I get used to it. Um, so he became known as the Phantom Assassin because he's basically invisible um, to to his victims or targets, as it were. I like too how certain they 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 basically have been saying that certain um, certain. Uh, enemies are like a lot of the um what am i trying to say here i'm trying to spit it out but again it goes to um big boss picking up the pieces you know this guy's the last surviving member of the whispers you know uh the the, another person earlier is was one of like the last people left over from his group you know so he finds these these like soldiers without a home essentially gives them gives them a place and that is a common theme with Big Boss that I'm I'm sure we'll uh, we'll continue to see throughout his history. Um, but just to give a little bit more of a context to the Night Fright fight, um, he because he's invisible to you know the outside world, um, Snake actually doesn't even realize he's there until he's tipped off by his anonymous fan, the number one number fan. One fan who's still kind of kind of hanging out somehow watching him somehow giving him uh this advice as he continues on through his uh his mission. And so after wiping out those three, after finishing the 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 the, the killing spree that Snake's on. And again, Snake Snake uses his his brain rather than his brawn and uh was able to use a very uh keen sense of hearing to find Night Fright. Yes. Let's not yes. forget it's it, i think that's a big part of the piece of solid snake is that he's so adaptive on the battlefield you know and he gets put in these situations obviously it's a video game so like the whole idea is to win but that's how it's worked in here is that he's just this soldier who is able to adapt so quickly to all the different things he runs to oh this this it's he can't see anything okay well now he's gonna listen oh there's a guy running away from him well he'll put landmines behind him and then chase the guy into the landmines stuff like that you know and I think it's kind of part of the neat part of the mythos there. Agreed. Um, so, uh, so after after the killing spree, so he finishes the Four Horsemen Jungle Evil Night Fright. He finally makes it to Doctor Keo Marv's cell. So finally, we're here. The whole point of the game, right, was to rescue this guy. Here we are. Hey, he's dead. <laughs> Snake's too late. <laughs> Snake's too late. He finds Doctor Marv's corpse. Marv was unable to survive the repeated torture sessions, and Madnar, who was also in the cell, was unable to save him. So Dr. Madnar's like, I tried, man. Like, I told you to get here fast. This guy's old. They tortured the shit out of him, and now he's dead. And then uh, and then, as Snake's about to retrieve the Oilex formula left by Dr. Keo Marv, because if he can't save the man, he at least has to save the formula. He that's, gets that's the important part, right? That's real. I mean, it's really it, 50, it was 50-50, you know? This <laughs> formula... Fun. But this formula is extremely important. It's basically the, you know, the future of the world's energy source. Like very this true. is going to be extremely important going forward. Very, very true. Uh, and so right as he's about to get that formula, Holly, the CIA agent journalist, sends him a radio message and says, hey, hold on a second. I just discovered that Dr. Madnar was in fact not captured by Zanzibar land but he went there voluntarily to oversee the development of the new Metal Gear. So you're in the room. You've got dead Dr. Marv over there. You got Dr. Madnar saying, hey, sorry, I tried to say him. I couldn't. And then you get a call saying, by the way, Dr. Madnar is full of stuff. <laughs> so, so 
So yeah, this uh, this seems like a double cross to me. It's it's a it's another oh, double cross. We had the, we had the Schneider reveal in the beginning, and now we've got the Doctor Madnar double cross. Dude was supposed to be in our corner. Now it makes you rem- it reminds you of the time too when he had to take his piss break earlier. Probably didn't have to piss. He was probably telling Gray Fox where we were so he could blow up the bridge. Uh, it and- is very interesting how the. Uh- Metal Gear found us right after uh, he mysteriously disappeared yeah, for a little Magically, bit. after he goes to drop a deuce, we show up and here he is, and all of a sudden he's a bad guy. So once all the truth comes out, Madnar admits it. He says he accidentally killed Marv, accidentally, but he did cause Gustavo's death because he did radio in for help or basically told Gray Fox where we were. And then he jumps on Snake's back. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to kill you, Snake. <laughs> um, he basically now- goes for... <laughs> A piggyback ride. <laughs> it, it is a literal piggyback ride in which, and, and again, this this I want to talk a little bit about this because it's a neat part of the game. How you defeat him is you have to shoot remote-controlled rockets and then remote-control them into your back to hit him. <laughs> so he's on your back. You shoot now, remote rockets Greg, at him. I, I would like to point out that you used the word rockets. This is an old man. This is a fragile old man. And you're shooting several rockets it, at it him. It took multiple rockets. Now, anyone listening, if you're somehow still going to be with us in the future, remember this. Remember that we shot multiple rockets into the back of a frail old Dr. Madnar who has to take constant bathroom breaks. Because it's going to be important later on. Further, much further down the road, but I'm just saying. Remember this day that we shot multiple rockets into his back. That is true. I completely forgot <laughs> about what you're referring to, but yes, so... remember this. It's you're not going to because I'm not going to. Um, but <laughs> so just like, remember that. Like all of the world's top killers, this frail old doctor is also easily defeated. <laughs> so, uh, so now Snake though knows where the where's the oilex formula is it was hidden he knows where the location is he has to go back to another building gets on a zanzibar land transport truck gets over to the freezer he uses the brooch that was given to him by gustava as a key in the freezer to open the locker and uh, after he opens it he finds and this is another one of the hideo isms he finds an msx cartridge that was being used to store the oilex formula now the Hideo Kojima always likes to put little Easter eggs in his games about the different consoles that the systems are on. So MSX is what the original Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 were made for. It's a Japanese computer uh, system that that was uh, like a half console, half computer system, kind of like our Commodore 64. And uh, and it was the MSX computer system. So the joke was that Dr. Madnar loved old video games. Excuse me, Dr. Kiyo Marv loved old video games, and so he put the Oilex formula onto an MSX video game cartridge and hid that in a locker. And so then Snake goes and retrieves the formula, and Snake is essentially, if if we hadn't learned new things, would have been over and finished with his mission because he was sent there to rescue Kiyo Marv, which he failed at, uh, and retrieve the Oilex formula, which he succeeded at. However, with the reveal of a new Metal Gear and with the big boss being still alive... He knows his mission isn't over. And honestly, he wants that revenge. He wants Gray Fox, and he wants Big Boss, and he's got to blow up Metal Gear. So, now that he's got the Oilex formula, he makes his way out of the cell. And before he does, though, Dr. Madnar is still alive. And he still actually, alive after the several he's, rocket he's blasts. He's still alive. And before he dies, he's like, hey, I know how to defeat the new Metal Gear because I built the thing. 
here his weeks are his legs are weak use grenades and blow up metal gear i'm sorry he's like you know i double crossed you it felt like the right thing to do at the time <laughs> but then you kicked my ass so now i feel bad i'm sorry here blow up metal gear please so in, in, a, so again, in a final act of defiance Doctor. Very similar again, <laughs> very similar again to Kyle Schneider's demise where in his last breath, he decides to do the right thing and, uh, you know, help Snake in taking down Metal Gear and Big Boss. And, and that's how I always look at that. Uh, I, I look at that as the soldiers that and the people that respected Big Boss and went to work for him see something similar in Snake. And so they say, like, I like Snake, too. I can relate to him. He's trying to do what's right. He's got a moral compass that's leading him in this direction. Like, I, I do, like, I thought I was right. And on my deathbed now, I see that I'm not. And I want to make amends. And so I think it's almost like there's this, you know, even though Snake's the one that kills them, there's this level of almost like, I'm going to confess my sins to you and, like, ask for forgiveness, and, almost and, like almost like snakes earned their respect through his victory. You know? Yeah, more and then not so much as earned it, but earned it more than Big Boss had. He took it from Big Boss and, and for himself. So there's just right. something there. And again, that's not really stated anywhere, but and it's more of a game mechanic. Like, hey, how do we push the story forward? Well, you got to have the guy you just killed us to tell you because there's nobody else here. <laughs> but you know, that's how I like to look at it. You know, when you start digging into the story side of things. Yeah, and so. we'll see that. Obviously, we'll see that a lot in the next game so yes exactly um however so just as snake is told the secret how to blow up metal gear a trap door is activated and snake gets dropped all the way down to zanzibar land's lower basement area as soon as he lands he's immediately confronted uh confronted by gray fox piloting metal gear again but thankfully right before he died dr madnar gave us the deets on how to take out metal gear and we got, got some hot tips, man. We got the we, we called uh, Nintendo Power Hotline, and we know what to do. <laughs> well, I also like how the weakness is throwing grenades at the legs, like, like the first thing you try. Y- yeah, <laughs> like well, what are you gonna <laughs> because do? Where, yeah, yeah, where we, else are you gonna throw them? I'm gonna throw the grenade. I'm gonna try to hit him in the head with a grenade. I don't know, you know. I'm, I'm gonna Just roll some me. grenades in there. And if a grenade worked, how come landmines wouldn't work? Mm. I don't know. You know, that's or or those rockets we shot, Madnar. Yeah, those well, they're pretty weak rockets because it took like five rockets to kill a frail old man. That's a good point. They're basically firecrackers. They're like M80s. <laughs> yeah, we, we say they're rockets or bottle rockets, maybe. They just yeah, zip around go. and like, oh, ow, they poked me in the back. Um, oh, oh, right in my eye. No, no, God, so, I'm dead. Um, so the the fight is is an epic one. And so it's man versus machine, solid snake versus ultimately, you know, the, the, the titular... Uh, evil of the game Metal Gear is successful with the tips he received from Dr. Madnar destroys Metal Gear after destroying it the resulting explosion unfortunately causes all of Solid Snake's equipment to catch on fire and Gray Fox uses that opportunity to to steal the Oilex formula cartridge and tell Snake to burn in hell and he runs away Wow! And, and, and so in the game though how this is done is actually it's really neat so your character is actually on fire and you have to go into your inventory and actually click on every item to throw it away. Because if you don't do that, you take constant damage from being on fire. And so you have to throw away all your equipment. Everything you just spent the whole game getting, all your ammo, weapons, everything, you have to throw it all away. And so you throw it all away. And then after you do that, you go next to, you go to the next room and you're going to confront Gray Fox. And so later on, 
you're going to hear references to Solid Snake, um, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Um, but this is is going to be remembered. This is something that Snake's going to remember for a long time, you know, fighting on the in this minefield of Zanzibar land. So as he goes into this room, it's a room filled with mines all over the floor, and it's a fist fight to the death, soldier to soldier, Solid Snake, and Gray Fox. It's worth noting that right before this, um, so I know that we mentioned before that, uh, you know, F- Frank Hunter um, was Gray Fox. Uh, this is actually right before this fight is when Solid Snake actually learns this from um, a military advisor for Foxhound named George Kasler. And Kasler tells Snake uh, more about Gray Fox, kind of just more of his background. And he, he reveals to Snake that Gray Fox's real name is Frank Yeager. And Snake, being the educated, well-read man that he is, realizes that Yeager is German for Hunter and makes that connection that Frank Hunter is Gray Fox, uh, the same man who, you know, fell in love with Gustava and ultimately killed her. Yeah, so, and it, yeah, and in the in the in the pre-show chat we had been talking about how correctly to reveal that. You know, like we'd been talking like, well, when do we talk about Frank Hunter? And like, when do we reveal Frank Yeager? And we were, we were we were going back and forth saying like, well, does Snake know Gray Fox's real name? Like, wouldn't he know if he was in the army with him, and was close, you know, with him in the same, you know, in Foxhound with him? And so we ended up just deciding to kind of tell it as part of that story. So technically, I think chronologically, we missed a little step there, um, because obviously this is when Snake finds out about it. He finds out that his real right. name is Frank Yeager. Yeah, it's uh, worth noting that that we, the audience, uh, obviously know different things than the than the characters in the story do um but at this point it is the first kind of uh confirmed revelation of snake realizing who gray fox is as as the man not necessarily the soldier um so that gives a good context to him going into this fight kind of having a new understanding of again that this this man that he's fighting is a man he had a life he had a he had a he had fallen in love with this woman who mm. we also shared. Sorry, he, I'm, I'm saying we as in the player and solid snake, but solid snake had shared this moment with. So there's kind of this new connection between the two as men, not necessarily as just soldiers on the battlefield. And that's something you're also going to see a lot in, in these, uh, these big boss battles in these, uh, in the games, all, you know, currently as well as going forward is there's a lot of these moments where, there's the connection between the protagonist and the enemy uh, that goes further beyond the battlefield and really influences, at least I feel, the way that the the battle plays out. No, I I totally agree with that, and and it it it's it was like you said, it was more about soldiers on on the side of battle at this point. It, it became much more personal, mm-hmm. and and so imagine this setup too. So they're they're in a room with mines all over the floor. And it's two guys just fist to fist, you know, like just two of the world's best soldiers that have ever lived. Arguably, Gray Fox was the number one Fox-owned soldier, as you knew him when you were a rookie. But he gets captured, and then obviously we know in the events of Metal Gear 1, Solid Snake ends up victorious after rescuing Gray Fox. Which now you have to wonder, well, now that Gray Fox works for Big Boss, was there something weird going on in Metal Gear 1? You you have to to wonder uh, when, when Gray Fox turned, you know. And, and so just imagine this fist fight though. Like it's, it's just, it's an epic 
melee battle between two men in, in, in an enclosed room with mines on the floor. And, uh, and not as, you know, not, not surprising as it works in video games, but snake ends up victorious and it's, and, it's what you'd and, expect. And again, as you imagine this, this epic fight between the two, I want you to picture it in like 128 pixels. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what's so funny about it is like when you play it in the game, it's not it's not really impressive. You know, you're like, okay, you're running around, you're punching things. Oh, you stepped on a landmine, you know. But like when you think about it from a story perspective and you think about the ramifications that this moment has um, and that these characters have that, 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 again, reverb through the entire Metal Gear saga, you look back on this moment and it's just, it's epic, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's just two Titans that are just going back and forth, blow for blow, having this incredible fight. Snake, once again, though, being the better soldier, being the better fighter comes out on top. And, uh, like, like you do when you have a, a close ally who becomes your enemy, but then you kill, you're on the verge of killing him. You have a poignant moment. You, you chat a little bit before you pass to the other side. And Fox decides to tell Snake all about his past and about how Big Boss saved him several times and how Fox needed war and couldn't live without it. Like, he, he was a soldier that without the battle, he couldn't, he couldn't live. He couldn't live a normal life. He tried, and it, yeah. it didn't work. And yeah, and. Like- no, go ahead. It's 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 like um, I'm I'm trying to find like a a profession to liken it to, but you can't really. There's just something about like how much war was ingrained in in his DNA. You know, it's it's all he knew. It's all he had. And like you said, he tr- he tried to get away from it, but since it was all he knew, it kept kind of pulling him back. And. and- uh, yeah, that's where we that's where we leave them. One, one thing I love about Metal Gear is that as the series went on, they did make prequel games. So they made stories that ultimately would tell would round out a character even more. And Gray Fox is a character we get to we get to know more about later. Uh, we get to round out more and figure out more about his past and stuff. And there's so much there. And, and it's just definitely one of the more complex characters in the series. Obviously, not necessarily in this game, <laughs> as you know, there wasn't a whole lot of complex storytelling going on in this game yet. Uh, but but definitely one of those characters that you wanna that that you feel a little bit for. Um, as Fox as Gray Fox is dying, uh, Snake reassures him that Gustavo's waiting for him on the other side. So it's kind of a sweet moment, kind of a nice moment. It is, um, and it's a it's a. It's it's another humanizing moment for Snake, even though, you know, there was this guy who he's just learned has kind of been more of an enemy that than he originally knew, you know, um, but there is still that human connection between the two. And that just shows, again, how Solid Snake, despite his hardened exterior, does kind of have a, a, a heart of gold, so to speak. Yeah. And it also it, it pushes me back to like. There's, I just can't imagine that Gray Fox knew that that was Gustava, you know, because otherwise, right. you know, I mean, unless, I mean, there's, there's no reason for him to have done that, um, at all. And, and so, unless Greg, oh, we consider that's him killing the final piece of his humanity. Okay, sure. Just saying, it's a possibility. Something to throw out there. Something to chew on. Sure, almost like a, and I know it sounds cheesy, but almost like that 
Vader-esque sort of redemption. Like, you know, he was he was almost trying to push himself to all all war, all soldier. Or if you want to go to let the kids these days know, that was his Ben Solo moment. That was him becoming Kylo Ren and, and killing Han Solo. Yeah. Or, or and then, and then but being ripped apart by it ultimately and str- and struggling with that and then having a moment of redemption before. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 down with either one of those explanations. That's a nice little Gray Fox this, is Kylo Ren. Let's throw a little bit of Star Wars in there. That uh, that statement actually makes me a little bit sad. <laughs> but... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that's it, right? I mean, Gray Fox is done. That's Gray uh, Fox is Snake, dead. Snake retrieves Doctor Marv's cartridge, the MSX cartridge with the Oilex formula on it. And Good as soon as he does, an MSX for that. Yeah, you know, I actually have one at the store right now. Um, oh, let me buy one. <laughs> I'll be up there tomorrow. So. Snake retrieves Dr. Marv's MSX cartridge. And as soon as he picks it up, though, he's taunted by a familiar voice. Snake knows that voice. He confronts it, moves a few rooms over, and runs into the myth, the legend, the renowned mercenary leader himself, Big Boss. The dude who we thought we killed last game. Looking fine, dude. Looking good, too. And he's looking good. He's looking on top of things. Um... And so Snake and Boss have a little bit of a of um of a moment here. They have quite they have quite a bit of dialogue. And I, I would argue this is the most dialogue and the most interesting character conversations that happen in the entire game. This this was actually like there was something here to this moment and, and Kojima actually put a lot into it. You know, Snake yeah, says it might even oh. be even considering the first game, like this is probably the most like poignant uh, speech, you know, or or you know, dialogue up to this point in the Metal Gear series, and it kind of yeah. sets the tone going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about that. You know, Snake had his mentor, his 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 trainer. Then he gets sent on this mission, finds out that Big Boss is the bad guy, so he's betrayed. Then he has to be the one to kill him, and he does, but apparently not because now he's back. Snake comes comes out of retirement to to do a totally unrelated mission gets pulled back into this drama again, like the things he can't escape. You know, Snake Snake goes as far as to say he came to Zanzibar land for this mission to get rid of the nightmares that he's had since Outer Heaven. So ever since he killed Big Boss, or so he thought he killed Big Boss, he's been having nightmares about the battlefield. And he thought, you know what, I'll come here to Zanzibar land, I'll do one more good deed, and, I'll, and it'll make the nightmares go away. And then Big Boss replies, well, they're never going to go away. Um... Big Boss explains that once someone has experienced the taste of battle, they could never leave it, and that everything he had done was to give Snake a place for it. He then told Snake about his viewpoint, a logical system. So I'm going to say this quote, but then Josh and I are going to talk a little bit about the conversation we had after we talked about this quote in the pre in the pre-show wrap. But Big Boss says, "This is the logical system," and and this this is how it's told. He says he told Snake about his viewpoint. But I, I disagree that this is his viewpoint, but here we go. Quote, start a war, fan its flames, and create victims. Then save them, train them, and feed them back onto the battlefield. End quote. And Big Boss continues stating that soldiers like them could never lead normal lives, that it was impossible, and that they only truly felt alive on the battlefield and nothing else would ever satisfy their cravings. And so in the pre-show, Josh and I were talking about this. And, and I said, I don't think that's actually what Big Boss thinks. I think that's what Big Boss thinks that the governments are doing to soldiers. 
And Josh, I don't know what your take on that was, but so I I do have a different take. I do think that this is a belief that it it might not necessarily be a part of big bosses because again we can't really talk about big bosses true motivations at this point um as you mentioned greg there is um obviously a lot of prequel games that we will get to later so as far as we know big boss now and and what we can say about him and his motivations now i do believe that this is this is a belief that he might have not necessarily come up with himself this might not be part of his personality coming out but I feel that like this was something that was kind of imposed onto him um, that he's kind of forced to accept not necessarily, you know, it might not be true to his core being, but I think he does believe this because of some of the things he's seen or have been through. Well, and, and if he's the leader of a mercenary band, I mean, this is how you would get mercenaries. You know, and you, this is how he has. Yeah, he, he, we've we've seen him do it already. And that is that's a good point because the the Merce, or the the outer heaven uprising displaced a whole bunch of people, and then he welcomed them in. All those people were going to get bombed. He rescued them, brought them to Zanzibar land. Like he was, it wasn't that people were necessarily following him. He was putting them in a situation where following him was their only option. So yeah, he wasn't really he giving them the he choice. He created them. Yeah, he yeah he wasn't even giving them a choice. He was giving them the illusion of choice. Okay, I like I like that. That sounds you know. And again, and that's what's fine to the people listening to this. There's not like a like a Wikipedia where you can read the conversation we're having right now. You know, like yes, there's a Wikipedia page that tells you all about the stuff we're talking about. You know, at the events of the game. But then when like what I love about this game is you can spark conversations like this. Like, was he actually a good guy? Was he a bad guy? What were his motivations? And and that's that's what I think we bring to the table is is I mean we're we're Metal Gear fans uh, collectively of almost fifty years, right? So yeah, that's that's I mean I I think we have some some insight into this, and it's it's cool to just uh, discuss and hopefully uh, share some opinions that other people find interesting. Yeah, definitely. And so now's the time, Big Boss and Sal Snaker. Almost done chatting, but Big Boss says one last thing to Solid Snake. He says, it doesn't matter who wins here. Our fight will continue. The loser will be liberated from the battlefield, and the winner will remain. And the survivor will, will live out the rest of his days as a soldier. And and that's kind of a an interesting point, almost to the, to the point where Big Boss is saying, I, I don't care if I win or lose, because if I lose, I'm free. But if I win, I'm alive. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, and I'm, it's, I'm still part of the machine almost. Yeah. And, and not that that's a bad thing either. There is some sort of thrill that they get from it. But what then, you know, but if he dies, then he's free of it and he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And this is another, like this, it, it's so, it's so, uh, this game is so important in a lot of ways. And this, that quote right there sets, I feel at least, sets the tone for so much. Uh, character um, I don't want to say development but but a lot of the characters that we will see as we go through all of these games share that exact same sentiment even if they don't realize it yeah and, and this this it's a shame that this game didn't come to the states until the 2006 uh, yeah well it would have been it would have been the PS3 version of subsistence yeah no and PS2 version of subsistence. PS2 version excuse me yeah and so that 
like, because this game, I think they could have ported this to Super Nintendo. I think it would have ported just fine. Like, it wouldn't have been as good, but they could have ported it. And this one laid so much groundwork. And now they probably didn't know that this was going to take off and that they were going to make, you know, a Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation, you know. But this this set up a lot of great stuff. And it's a real shame it didn't come stateside till it did because this was, like when people were playing Metal Gear Solid in the United States for the first time, all of these things that actually happened in games were things we didn't know and things you didn't experience. You were hearing it through like light conversations and stuff like that. So, yeah. And there was the briefing, um, section of, uh, Metal Gear Solid, uh, which was kind of like an overview of the, the past missions. That's right. I do forget about that, but you're right. They did have that briefing section but even even then you're not experiencing it you're being told about it so yeah and a lot of things are different obviously now the dialogue is finally finished they're done yapping and it's time to get to the fight but if you remember after solid snake destroyed metal gear he was he got lit on fire and had to throw away all of his equipment so now imagine the boss fight you're going against arguably the greatest soldier the world's ever known even though you beat him once already, but you don't have any weapons. You don't have anything. You And you just got done dodging landmines and fighting arguably the second best soldier the world's ever known. So you're kind of tired too. So this is an interesting fight because you have to run around and go through different doors, dodging big boss as you try to pick up some equipment. The only equipment Solid Snake's able to find is a cigarette lighter and some lacquer spray. And you know what that makes? <laughs> <laughs> you get a nice little flamethrower when you put those two things together. So then uh, as he fights Big Boss, he has to actually use this makeshift flamethrower to defeat him. And he does. Although it wouldn't be much of a game if the main hero didn't win. But Snake's able to defeat Big Boss for the second and last time. And as you remember, you're still with Holly. So Snake and Holly now are trying to get out. They're trying to leave. And they have to fight now, their way out to the extraction point. I do want to stop you here. Because in our in our pre-show discussion, we discussed something that happens here, but isn't necessarily <laughs> it doesn't necessarily happen here until we find out about it later. Yes, so thank, do we, do we want to discuss so that now? Yes, very much so. I actually forgot about it, and I don't, I didn't want to forget about. It, so thank you for bringing it up. So to set up the stage a little bit, what I would say is this was not canon until Metal Gear Solid came out. So when Metal Gear Solid came out, they they retconned into the story what we're about to tell you. But it takes place right after Solid Snake defeats Big Boss. And it's a huge deal. It, it's, it's earth-shattering, huge news. But it wasn't revealed initially until Metal Gear Solid. But when they reveal it in Metal Gear Solid, they reveal it that it happened at the end of this game. So I think it's it's right that we do it. So... After he defeats Big Boss, Big Boss drops the bombshell on him, on Solid Snake. Josh, do you want you want the honors? It's a big sure. deal. I, I want so, you to do it. I want you to I want you to drop. This is a big deal. Like this is this has this I talk about reverberations throughout the entire saga. This is where the game really hits. So later, and this is this is how Solid Snake rec- recounts the situation. Um Big Boss reveals to Solid Snake that he is in fact his father um and solid snake then kills big boss 
knowing that fact. Knowing that. That's right. Actually, and that's something I missed. It wasn't after he defeated him. It was before. Yeah. Well, we, we don't necessarily know if maybe it was another, like, on his deathbed type situation. Oh, so sure. It, it could have been. We're not entirely sure on the order of the events. But as Solid Snake tells us, uh, Big Boss reveals in their final encounter that he is his father. And Solid Snake is forced to kill the man now knowing that not only is he Big Boss, but he is... And has always been, obviously, his father. Yeah, and and someone who grew up with no family, joined the military to be his family, (laughs) gets mentored by Big Boss, then betrayed by him, has to kill him once. He's not dead, finds out he's his father, still has to kill him. I mean, it's when you think about it in the context of a game, it feels kind of like, it feels almost like a soap opera. And so I know if you're kind of like rolling your eyes a little bit when you heard like, he's his father, what? And then it's the old star Wars jokes, you know? Yeah. It's very, uh, reven- or, uh, uh, it's, 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 uh empire, empire strikes back. back. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very empire, Jesus. but There's too many of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very empire. But when you really, and that's that, like Josh was saying earlier, that's what we want to bring to the table. We want to just get the conversation going a little deeper and think a little bit more about how he's, you know, like just put yourself in that character's shoes. You know, someone who who had zero family growing up, joins the military, gets betrayed by the military, essentially thrown away by the government, used a, used as a pawn to to kill, you know, his 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 mentor, which also happens to be his father. You know, and it brings into uh, thought a lot of themes of duty over all else which is another theme that you'll start to really be explored through other games in the series too. Like where do your loyalties lie? And, and uh, in this game, you're constantly questioning that. Like, what would you do in that situation? Would you be the professional? Would you be the, would you be the perfect soldier that does what he's told? Or does the human side come out and give you a little bit of leeway there where you decide to have a moment where you're more human than soldier, you know? And there's, a, there's another, there's another theme here that we're going to see a lot in the next game with my favorite character that I'm very excited to talk about. But the, the theme is, <laughs> you don't even know who I'm talking about yet. I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't, you, you have no idea who I'm talking about. Uh, the theme is uh, military and your squad and your, your kind of partners on the field as your family versus your actual family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. Like that that kind of conflict of the two families and who is who is truly wh- where do your allegiances lie with which family? Yeah. Like your genetic family or this other family that you've kind of built um, through your shared experiences and shared battles, and that conflict is very very important through several characters and several characters will bond over this in the future. So it's good to keep in your mind as we go forward. Obviously there's a lot of things to keep in your mind as we go yeah. forward that we mentioned, but it's, it's good that we, we bring these up and kind of uh, keep rehashing these and, you know, bashing them into your head so that as we move forward, we learn to recognize these things. Well, and, and that, and that's why we're here. If you don't remember, that's okay. We'll remind you next time on the next episode when it comes up that's what that's what we're here for we're gonna be yes and i i will gladly talk about this again when we talk about my favorite character who i hope 
you now realize you don't know who I'm talking about. I don't. I thought you were making a joke about the next character, uh, the pilot Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I said the next game we're going to talk oh, about. Oh, next game. Okay, character. then I missed it. Yeah, my bad. I thought when you said next character, I was like, oh, I know who you're talking about. You're, you're no, going to make a joke about Charlie. That is my second favorite, second favorite Metal Gear character. He's, he's, well, he's very well developed. That's why I like him so much. Yes, he certainly is. Uh, but no, thank you very much for bringing that up because I totally had spaced on that. And it's so important, and the fact that I almost forgot it upsets me because I should well, not have even come close to forgetting that. You you didn't forget it. It's just the matter of when do we talk about it. There's a lot yeah. of that in this. That's going to be a common theme in this show, as it already has been. Yep, yep, good point. Uh, and so as our adventure continues, uh, Solid Snake has defeated Big Boss. Holly and him, uh, dis- uh, you know, they have to leave. They have to fight their way out to the extraction point. However, their getaway pilot, Charlie, who I just mentioned, uh, your second favorite character in the Metal Gear Saga, he's running late. You know, he's not there on time like you said he would be. So they're forced to hold off an entire platoon of guards until they eventually run out of ammo. It's actually a really neat mechanic in the game, too. So um, you, like, at the, you're, you're like running from these guards, and they just keep coming, so you keep shooting them. And then once you're out of ammo, they all run into this little area, and they kind of surround you. Mm-hmm. And at the last second... Your boy Charlie shows up piling a Sikorsky HH-64 Dragoon, mows down all the remaining enemies, picks up uh, Holly and Snake, takes them to safety with the MSX cartridge. And now I think is a good time to talk about Charlie's backstory. (laughs) Please, let's let's talk about Charlie. (laughs) So I've been doing this uh, this backstory thing on the characters. I think it fits my my you know my skills very well. So Charlie was a helicopter pilot. <laughs> that's, that's that's it. That's it. That's it. But but here now here though actually there is something more that I want to tell you because remember we were making the joke last episode about. How many members does Foxhound have, right? Is it just mm-hmm. Snake? Is it Snake and Gray Fox? Is it just Snake, Gray Fox, and Big Boss? The, par- the the sentence actually says Charlie was a helicopter pilot who served as a member of Foxhound. So he's he's a member of Foxhound. Charlie. Yeah, so there's there's at least one more member of Foxhound, and that's Charlie. I'm so, sure I'm sure there's a lot of auxiliary like there's gotta be like a secretary. There's gotta be somebody making copies. So the, this Hound. is what we've confirmed as this is what we have confirmed Foxhound members. We have Big Boss, we have Roy Campbell, we have Gray Fox, we have Solid Snake, and Charlie. <laughs> and Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a who's who. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to jokingly even say it. I was going to jokingly say, keep remember Charlie. He's going to come back. He never comes. Back. Charlie is nobody. To be fair, nobody. we do know we do know also McDonald Miller and George Kasler. Yeah, that's true. So Foxhound was expanded underneath uh, underneath Campbell. So he's Correct. rebuilding it, basically. Yeah. Um, so then uh, a little bit more at the end of the game, after the mission's over, Solid Snake refuses Roy Campbell's offer to, refer to, Fox, to return to Foxhound, stating that his nightmares are over. He's completed it. He's done. He's, he's had it with, with the battle. He's not addicted to it. He doesn't want it. Um, he also confirmed to Holly and Campbell that the MSX cartridge that he had retrie- uh, retrieved was indeed the one Marv, Dr. Keo Marv, had hid the Oilex formula on, citing that Marv signed his signature backwards on the boot-up screen as the proof needed. After the situation has 
been diffused. It's over. It's everything's done. Snake disappears into the Alaskan wilderness, not to be heard from again. So Snake retires, and this time goes further away. I don't know where he was hiding out when they brought him back for Zanzibar land, but he went. He he retreated. Probably like he retired, Myrtle Beach. He retired to the Alaskan wilderness, never to be heard from again. Until he is. Later. Well, spoilers. <laughs> But that's it. That's the story of Metal Gear 2. So I appreciate everybody for sticking around for the ride. It was a, it was a, this one, you know, we're still getting our legs under us for how we want to do the format. I don't know about you, Josh. I thought it went really well. I thought, I uh, thought that was great. I thought it was really well. Uh, I thought the flow was really good. And uh, this, and obviously as we go deeper and deeper to the people listening, the stories get better and better. So the first game, I don't know how we stretch that into an hour and a half because there's not a lot to talk about story-wise there, not a lot of character development. Metal Gear 2 did have a pretty good uh, story and a pretty good character development. And then obviously the next one we're going to talk about, Episode 3, will be Metal Gear Solid, which was actually Josh's introduction to the series, right? Or Metal Gear Solid 2, technically. Metal Gear Solid 2 technically was, but I beat Metal Gear Solid 1 before I beat Metal Gear Solid 2. Okay. And, And so Solid is a lot of people's first introduction to Metal Gear. And... It was actually I lied because I played the demo of Metal Gear Solid when it first came out. Okay, so, and so I was aware demo, of Metal Gear Solid, and then you had played Metal Gear Solid Two but never finished it. Then you beat the first Metal Gear Solid, then beat two. Yes, Does that sound right. Okay, <laughs> that is that that's is a, correct. That's about as convoluted as the Metal Gear timeline is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I just um, wanted to fit in. But I'm I'm so happy because I'm more excited to start the Solid Saga because Solid, like for people who don't know, that game changed. You want to you want to talk about influential games, and I know I'm getting off the history of Metal Gear now, but like you want to talk about influential. No, games. we're kind of in the wrap up section now. So yeah, good. yeah, good point. Um, Metal Gear Solid was so influential to all video games that are made today. I'm talking all video games. They yep. showed that you could present a story and present it in a cinematic way. Every game now has cutscenes and has cinematic cutscenes. That that arguably Metal Gear Solid showed you that you could make a movie presentation for a game and that it would work and that people would love it and it was unique. Now everybody does it, but that was so influential at the time. But because it was so cinematic, Hideo Kojima put so much effort into the story. And so now there's this really, like, Solid's where the ball really gets rolling. So if you if we've intrigued you up to this point, we're about to blow your effing mind when we get into Solid and Solid 2 and Solid 3. Metal Gear Solid 3 is probably my favorite one. And then when we wrap it up with 4, oh my gosh, I, I got I to gotta stop, Josh. I'm getting I'm getting too excited over here. So I'm going to uh, just, I'm going to put a teaser out there that will hopefully get people to keep coming back and listening. Um, there might be, <laughs> there might be moments in this podcast where I start legitimately crying. <laughs> oh, Nice. <laughs> Uh, so so just you know keep listening because any moment i might break into tears about these characters i that are fake but i care so much about it i i and and i've i've been trying to figure out a way to like express my love for metal gear like i didn't know how to do it and at first because i love the story like i even a long long time ago i talked about doing a a fake documentary on youtube about like Mm -hmm. like you know how those history channel shows where it's like oh the history of world war ii and i'd be like oh it's the history of the you want to do like a ken burns metal gear yeah exactly but but do it as if it existed in reality i'm like "Eh, it's just it just doesn't work i don't have the production value for that and i thought you know what 
especially when I got more into podcasting, I'm like, this would really do well just as like an audio drama almost and just kind of hit the story points and have just two passionate people talking about Metal Gear. And and I, I was searching for a second person to do this for a very long time. <laughs> like I, I was in my head. I was like, I don't know who else I could talk to about this. And obviously we've become friends over the last couple of years and I just, you're, you're perfect for it, man. And I'm so glad I appreciate you putting the time in to help me out with it. So, Oh, absolutely, dude. Um, when I made the kingdom hearts video, um, I saw an outcry of like these, these people who cared so much about this franchise. And I was just like, who has all the time and energy <laughs> to like focus on a gameplay series and get this invested into it. And then I'm like, wait a second. That's me with Metal Gear. Like I, I have the same exact way. I have this insane uh, fandom for this, for this franchise. So I, I, I got to see it from like an outsider's perspective, but uh, yes, it, I, I was so excited when you asked me to do this because (laughs) I just get to gush over Metal Gear and the, the, moral implications and all of the themes that get to represent themselves so like i used to spend like hours upon hours upon hours like on forums just talking about the story of metal gear when i was a kid so it's it's cool to to kind of revisit it and and bring back all of this you know knowledge and uh um opinion and all that so thank you for giving me the platforms well of course and and it I would say now too, it's pretty clear that we're we're not really going to get another Metal Gear game that has anything to do with the current story. Like they might do remakes, they might do, you know, something like that. But for the most part, like the story as it is is finished, and so it's also a good time to actually talk about it all, talk about all the connections, and and to be able to wrap it all up. And I also think it's it's one of those franchises that if people haven't played it, I don't ever see them going to play it, and so that's why I don't mind talking about it. Because I think it's kind of cool that there might be someone out there who goes, you know, I've always I've always heard of the game, had no idea what it was like, and I'm probably never going to play it. <laughs> and so we can come in and say, hey, check this out, and maybe we'll get someone, you know, to play it. There was actually um, a friend of mine who comes in the store. He had mentioned that he's like, I've never I've never played Metal Gear. I thought it was kind of interesting, and that was the the first episode where it was really hard to talk about because there wasn't a lot of story stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited for people to hear when we start really digging into the good stuff and personally metal gear solid three is my favorite and i can't wait to talk about that one but we still got a couple episodes to go and most likely metal gear solid one and two will be multiple parts because i was just after the show wrapped up i was going to ask (laughs) if we wanted to to like split it up because this is a game that had admittedly minimal story and we wound up two hours so yep i could i could see metal gear solid being easily four and if you remember me during the the pre-show convo i was like i'm just gonna zip through it i don't care if it's only a half hour i'd rather do that than artificially stretch it out and now we're at the two hour mark (laughs) so um but all right that honestly that is the beauty of metal gear because you look at this thing that's honestly looks like it's just going to be straightforward to go through and then we wind up waxing philosophical for Mm -hmm. uh you know an extra hour or plus and and solid man is there's so much to dive into there i mean like there, like when you look at what solid has to talk about and then what this game has solid has like 10 times the story beats that this game has Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, yeah, it might be four parts. It could be five parts, man. I don't know. But yeah, we're we're gonna have to figure out the the logical places to to cut it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll don't worry, ye uh, 
you know, simple listener. We will uh, <laughs> we'll figure that all out. S- sometime by 2021, we'll have another episode out. <laughs> we'll get it all figured out. <laughs> this one will be easier because at least we're f- much more familiar with the source material, I feel. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're, more, we're much more current on it. So, uh, But thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. We will catch up with you again. Keep your eyes out for Episode 3 of Metal Gear Salad. We will talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye.